Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 8. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 8. After today, we only have five more messages within the series of Elisha and Elisha. Spending some time of just walking through these men of God and how they were used. And we come once again to a Another person that has been encountered before in the life of Elisha and see what is happening and how God has worked within this life of the family that has previously been worked on before. If you don't mind to look with me into the book of 2 Kings chapter number 8. The book of 2 Kings chapter number 8 and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 1 the word of God says this. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he hath restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou in thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall be also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came to pass that as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he hath restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha had restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field, since the day that she left the land, even until now. And with this, I would like to hit a message on Elisha and the liberated land. Elisha and the liberated land. With the Lord's help, let's go to the him and talk to him now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And you are truly a wonderful God. And I thank you for your preparedness and how you work before us and work with us and work after us. And that you are a great God who knows our need even before we know we have a need. That you know how you're going to answer that prayer before we even know how to ask. I'm thankful that you're a God who definitely knows what you're doing. And that you have your hand down upon your people and you have a plan. I'm asking now as we approach this message, Lord, that you would order my thoughts, that you would let them be clear, let them be easily understood, let me be able to communicate these truths and the history that we're going to tell. 
And that it would be an encouragement to your folks now to draw close to you, to realize that you're a God that we could plead to and talk to and expect for you to liberate the land. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we now come here, we have almost like a recap or the end of the story. As we come here, we see in chapter 8 and verse number 1, we could see the famine returns. The famine returns. Now we've already dealt with a couple of different famines that have occurred during this time of Elisha. And once again, because of Israel being disobedient, another famine comes. But this time... It's now concerning one of Elisha's favorite stops. Remember, it had covered this before, that Elisha, the man of God, would travel through and he would stop at this one woman's house. And uh, <coughs> she lived there with her husband. She looked at the man of God and said, how can we be a blessing to him? And so they built him a prophet's chamber. And it had a bed and it had... Um, it had a table and it had a lamp and it had a stool so the man of God can study and pray and work with the Lord when he traveled through and we could be comfortable. And remember, it was this same lady who one day had her son as he grew up that he died and she ran to him and ran past Gehazi who was involved in this story and he was sent to ask her, is it well, is it well? And she was able to say, it is well, it is well, it is well. But we know that the story went on and Elisha was able to go by. And by the power of God, it was God's power that restored this dead boy back to life. Well, now as another famine is coming here, that God sends Elisha to come and warn the lady and say, Hey, I want you to pack up your household. I want you to pack up everyone that you have. And I want you to go find anywhere that you could live that's safe because a famine's coming to this land. And so she takes her household and they go to the land of the Philistines. At this time, the Philistines were uh, subjugated unto the southern kingdom of Judah. And it's interesting to note that the famine was more of an isolated famine, only affecting the northern kingdom. Once again, showing God's trying to get a hold of them. He's trying to get their attention. They're refusing to obey and refusing to pay attention to what God is speaking to them about. And so they spend time in, through the land of the Philistines. Finally, after the seven years, we could see her fruits are restored. That it starts off with a famine returns and then her fruits are restored. So at the end of the seven years, verse number three, it came to pass at the end of the seven years, <laughs> at the seven years end, that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. So what happens? She comes back into the land and she finally, as she goes back to take her house back, maybe there's some squatters. Maybe someone else has taken her land. But she goes back and she can't move inside. Well, we got to go tell the authority, so let me go talk to the king. And so she goes to the king with the purpose of trying to plead and say, can I have my land back? I only left her in the famine. This guy's squatting right here. I need him out of here. Can I get my lands back? And wouldn't it be just like the Lord that he had already had preparation. You see, it's at that same time as the lady is going, making her way to the king's court. That the king says, you know, I haven't heard any good stories of Elisha lately. Gehazi, you traveled with him. Tell me some stories about Elisha. And so he begins to tell him some stories. And then he starts getting to the story of Elisha and this, and this uh, lady here. 
He tells the king about how this lady had taken care of him. And you probably could imagine Gehazi's pride when the man of God said, is there anything we can do for uh, this woman? And Gehazi said, it was me that said we need to pray for her son. I did that. And so he goes on and tells the story that one day the kid got sick. One day the kid died and Elisha came and he restored this dead body to life. And it was just at that time the woman comes in with the purpose of asking for the land and Gehazi look, says, look, that's her. It's her. That's the one I was just telling you about. That's her son. He was dead. Look, he's alive now. What better entrance could you ever have? Already telling the story. The king already knew who this lady was before she ever presented. Isn't that a great God? She had a need. And before she could even ask, God had already made preparations for her request to be asked. Notice if you don't mind as we go to the text. Verse number 5. And it came to pass that as he, that's Gehazi, was telling the king how he had had restored a dead body to life. And behold, the woman whose son hath restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha has restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king looks to her and says, Is this true? Is everything that we heard was true? She told him, So the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land even till now. So not only did she have her land restored, but she also had the fruits of her field restored at this time. So everything that she would have had during that time is restored. Now, how big is that, by the way? In the military, they actually have a protocol that if um, an, the army accidentally kills someone's cow, that not only do the army have to restore the, the farmer's cow, they also have to restore all the things that that cow could re, to, can produce for the next seven years. So imagine that a cow can have a calf. Well, then they only have to restore the cow, but they have to restore the calf. But then that calf can grow up and have another calf, and they have to restore the calves that that cow could have during that time. And then they have to restore the calves that they could have all up to seven generations and restore that. This is what this lady did. That not only she went in just asking to see if she could get the squatter off of her land, but the king, hearing about this, said, no, 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 don't just restore her land, but I'm ordering you to also repay everything that her farm could have produced, that her land could have produced for that last seven years, and just restored it to her. What a wonderful God that he was able to do that, that <laughs> restore all the fruits of her field since the day that she left. So everything that her field could have produced during that seven years is what was restored to her. What a great thing. God had already prepared and God had already set this up. What a great God. Which now takes me to something else. Using this as a jumping thing. I, we started off by talking about this land that the famine was revisited. Then 
we could see how this um, fruits were restored. But now I want to tie it and make an application to our freedom realized. Our freedoms realized. And if you don't mind, I'd like to take a little trip through history. Now there's many instances of God working on behalf of our country to give us freedom and liberty. That our country was once called the city set upon the hill. It comes from a title of a message preached by John Withrop in 1630. And he was warning the Puritans that their brand new colony would be based off of their faith in God and become a lighthouse, become a city set on a hill that all the world would be watching. And that if they employed in this area here their faith in God, that all the world would see the evidence of their faith in God. And sure enough, that became evident as God began to work within our country. And the Puritans, <laughs> that also became the colonists, as the other colonists came in, put their faith in God. They had the first great awakening, which brought people back to a faith and trust in God. That they became a group of people who depended upon God for everything. May I give you some examples? The founding fathers demonstrated their belief in God by calling the colonists to humble themselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So as they said, we're, we're in this time here and we need to figure out what we're going to do concerning England, how we're going to treat them and how we're going to respond. That the first thing we need to do was humble ourselves before God. We need to make sure that we're humble and God will lift us up. They led the nation in following the principle given in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and forgive their sin, and heal their land. And so this nation was prepared to seek God. God, what do you want us to do? We're putting ourselves at our, your disposal. God, we're asking you to heal our land for you to do something. So because of this, the early colonists and our early nation banded together to have several national fasts leading up and through the Declaration of Independence. For example, Thomas Jefferson uh, had one declared on June 1st, 1774. He gave a resolution calling for a day of fasting, which led to the forming of the Continental Congress and the leading of the colonists to independence. In fact, George Washington in his diary that day said, went to church and fasted. Even George Washington participated in those events. On July 12, 1775, John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail saying, We have appointed a congregational fast, or a continental fast. Millions will be upon their knees at once before their great creator, imploring his forgiveness and blessing, his smiles on American council in arms. And so John Adams is declaring a fast. Thomas Jefferson has a proclamation. <clears throat> Even George Washington, who has already had the hand of providence, maybe you're familiar with some of his history, but in the French and Indian War, George Washington was under the command of Edward Braddock, an egotistical British soldier. Braddock's 2,000 troops were attacked by 
800 well-entrenched French and Indian troops. Now, Braddock refused to acknowledge that the warfare had changed, where the French and Indian were using guerrilla tactics and attacking from... Uh, <coughs> from the, the woods and attacking from the other things, the British and European mindset was all the troops would line up in a row and they would meet together in a battlefield. Braddock still had that mindset while the French and Indians hid around. Braddock refused to even break from this military discipline that he ordered that none of the troops can take cover behind the trees. So you have to stay out in the open. During this time, only one mounted officer remained unscathed, and that was a 23-year-old by the name of George Washington. In a letter to his brother, George Washington stated that, but by all powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation, for I had four bullets through my coat, two horses shot under me, yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on either side of me. Fifteen years later, Washington was approached by an aged chieftain who recalled that day. He stated that he had ordered his men to shoot at Washington and declared how, how shot after shot after shot was shot towards uh, George Washington. And whereas his men couldn't miss, something shielded Washington. The chieftain said, seeing you were under the special guardianship of the great spirit, we immediately ceased to fire at you. Hey, it's not doing any good. Might as well fire at something else. But 15 years, he came up to George Washington and admitted that. <coughs> well, as they were preparing for another fast, <coughs> uh, sorry, George Washington, his first official order when he became general of the Continental uh, troops in July 5th, 17, <coughs> 1775 read, The general most certainly requires and expects a due observance of those articles that were established for the government of the army, which forbid cursing, swearing, and drunkenness. And in like manner, he requires and expects all officers and soldiers not engaged in actual duty, a punctual attendance on divine service to implore the blessings of heaven upon the means used for our safety and defense. So George Washington, his first official order said this, I expect everyone within my command to behave like a Christian. No cursing, no drinking, no swearing. And if you're not on duty, I expect you to be in church. Because it is only by your prayers that God will give us safety and victory. He expected it. His second directive was given five days later that each regiment was to have their own chaplain. So that they could continue to have favor from heaven. The general trust every officer and man will endeavor to live and act as becomes a Christian soldier, defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. These chaplains would become increasingly significant as the war progressed. In fact, George Washington himself had his um, regimental chaplain of John Gano, a Baptist preacher, and Later on through the war, George Washington said, I know I was raised in a religion that said I had to be baptized as an infant, but that's not what I find in scripture. So chaplain, can you baptize me? 
and the Baptist chaplain John Gano baptized George Washington in the Delaware River. <coughs> As the um, young colonies and now united fighting against England, uh, things progressed, they made another fast, dated March 6, 1776. Washington had ordered <coughs> Thursday the 7th to be set apart as a day of fasting, prayer, and humiliation, asking officers and soldiers to implore the Lord, giver of all victory, to bless the Continental Army with his divine favor and protection. Now, while the troops were fasting, the British uh, general... William Howe had planned to attack the Americans by landing 3,000 troops and charging up the Dorshire Heights. However, a violent snowstorm arose, uh, causing the sea to be so turbulent that that attack had to be um, abandoned. So here's General Howe saying, I got them. There's no way they could get out of it. George Washington, not knowing the attack is imminent, says, all right, let's pray and let's ask God to protect us. Well, wouldn't you so know it? A snowstorm came and thwarted it the attacks of General Howe. Later on, <clears throat> in August 27th, 1776, General Howe had once again trapped George Washington with 6,000 men. And there was no way they could uh, escape. So General Howe said, it's getting to be nighttime. Let's go ahead and take a break, rest our troops. They're not going anywhere. Well, during that time, God had allowed a thick fog to go across the British troops and allowed George Washington and his men to grab several boats and to sail away from the shores of New York and New Jersey and to get from safety. And time and time and time again, they had the providence of God doing, I mean, they couldn't control the weather, but God can. But they would humble themselves and they would pray. And they would fast. And wouldn't you know that God had already had things prepared? God had already been moving things. And so as we come with the principle of the liberated land, we still have the principle given to us in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and forgive their sins, and heal their land. One of the problems that we have in our nation today is that we fail to humble ourselves and pray. And we're not talking about the heathens in our land. We're talking about those that know the Lord. God can heal our land. He can liberate the land. He could restore the land. He could give us the fruits that were lost once again. But it starts with his people humbling themselves. What does it mean to humble themselves? It's to come to the place where we realize it's not us. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. It is only by God's good providence that we get anything. By humbling themselves and pray. If the bombs that are aimed at our nation were to be launched, where would they be based off of your prayer life? When's the last time you prayed for our nation? I mean, we're obviously concerned by our nation. All of us have complained, looking at a Facebook post or looking at the news. 
We look at this stuff and we say, what can we do about it? Let me tell you, an election is not the answer. Now, you should vote. Voting gives you at least the, the ability to criticize because you did something. But a vote is not going to change anything. It doesn't matter if it's President Trump or if it's Vice President Biden or if it's Senator Sanders. It doesn't matter if it's Colonel Sanders or Ronald McDonald. None of them are the answer. But God is your answer. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. We wonder why things don't work. You have not because you ask not. All failures are prayer failures. We just don't pray. Think about this. Think of the people who called for prayer in our nation in the early Thomas Jefferson. John Adams. George Washington. And I don't have the quotes here, but you know who participated in them? Benjamin Franklin. All those founding fathers, they opened the Continental Congress with prayer. In fact, as you have uh, Benjamin Franklin talk about it, that when they're writing together their constitutional convention, that they started off and they had representatives from each of the colonies, and they're fighting and they're bickering and whatnot. And it's Benjamin Franklin who stands up and says, listen, we haven't prayed. Oh, let's do that. And after they prayed, wouldn't you know that things went smoother? Because God is able to do it. We need to get off the thing where we're depending on ourselves and get back to praying like it was dependent upon God. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that carries the idea of looking for God, putting forth the effort to find Him. God, what do you want? You tell us what to do. God, we need you shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What was George Washington's comments? I expect every soldier within my command, whether he's an officer or a soldier, to live like a Christian. No cursing, no swearing, no drunkenness. Why? That we may have God's divine favor. There's something to this. He understood this. Hey, if we are going to have God in our side, we better live like God is on our side. If we don't live like Christians, why should God help us? That's a good question. If we don't behave like a Christian, why should God help us? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and then... Will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land? God is able to liberate the land. He is able to heal the land. He's able to restore the land. But God says, there's some things I want you to do first. They're not hard. They're work. They're against the flesh. But as someone said, it's too easy. It's too easy. Don't you know we get a, got a coalition of people and we need to put them in Washington and we need to make sure that they do what's right. It's not the answer. I know you vote according to your party lines. 
that doesn't work. Washington is not the answer. And if you're looking to Washington, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Madison is not the answer. You're going to be sorely disappointed. Your favorite sports team is not the answer. I'm sorry to tell you, it's not going to work. It is God that is the answer. And we have to go to Him. And we're just about sick and tired of our country, but not sick and tired enough to do something about it. We need to have a revolution back to the Bible just like those people fresh out of the first great awakening did with a renewed spirit that they believe the Bible works and says, let's do that. Let's do that. Do you know that God can still bring revival? God can still heal our land. And you know where it starts? It starts here. It starts here. And just like that lady who went to go ask and plead for her land back, Isn't it great that God had already prepared to answer her prayer? She didn't even know it. She walked in and Gehazi said, that's her! That's her! And the king was already prepared. Here you go. Here's everything back. What a great God. You never know. God is just waiting for us to pray. You'd be surprised what God would do if we took it seriously and believed that God could heal our land. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.